All right. Um, Tom, you've been asked to present workshops on consciousness exploration and science at the Monroe Institute in Faber, Virginia, next August 2015 and November 2015. Um, I don't know how many spaces are available, but there is a link to register to the Monroe Institute workshops at www.mbtevents.com. Um, that leads uh, me to I, the I, next. I just, I just found out uh, today that they are all full. Are they? Okay. Okay. Both. I have one in August and one in September, and they're all filled up. But August there are always people. Okay. There are always people who intend to go that for the last minute something comes up and they cannot go. You know, some yes. something happens and they just can't do it. So there is a there is a uh, a list you can get on as vacancies become available. I guess they're taken in order. So. I think there's only 20-some people that will fit into that facility for, at a time. So it's unfortunately, it's very limited in the number of people who can do it because what it's going to be is mostly experiential. I'm going to be a guide and a coach, okay? And everybody there is going to spend most of their time in a bed with a headset on and experiencing the larger reality system. That's what we're going to do. And then when you have a, an hour of that, you'll come out, and as you have questions and trying to make sense of what, what happened to you and decide whether it was real or did you make it up, and you have all these issues, then I serve as the coach and the guide, and we talk about it some and how to put it in the right perspective and what it might mean and where, it, where it's probably going with that and why it was like that and what you brought to the table and what came from outside of you. And so I'm just the coach, if you will. And then after we have a you know a half hour an hour of of uh, talk, then you go back into the booth and do some more, and then we uh, talk about it. You get a little more coaching, and you go back out. So think of it, uh, you know, like a like a sport, right? You go out and play for a while, and then everybody comes in. The coach talks to you and tells you, uh, you know, how how you need to pass that ball a little, you know, a little better, or how you have to do this other thing. And they send you back out on the field, and you play a little more, and then the coach brings you in, and you have a talk. Well, it's going to be that kind of thing. So. That's what we're doing, and it's not uh, me lecturing. It's, uh, it's me kind of facilitating your experience in the uh, larger consciousness system. So that's the point of it. That's why we're doing the Monroe facility, because everybody has to have a, a bed with a set of headphones, and we're going to use the, the TMI's uh, sound, the sound that they have uh, to help encourage theta states and good meditation states and that sort of thing. But it's individual, you know, you can do with the sound or without the sound, and we may try a couple of different varieties. I haven't yet decided, you know, just what I'm going to use there, what sorts of sounds yet, but we'll come up with something and have all that done by the time, you know, by the time it comes around, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but that's the, that's the deal, and though it's only been out for probably a few weeks, it filled up very quickly, but there will be openings coming now and again, I guess, as people can't go. 
I'm sure there'll be more opportunities in the future. So that's good news that it's full. But if you, anyone out there wants to be on a waiting list, you can get the link through MBT Events or directly through the Monroe Institute. That brings us to the next question uh, from Justin on the early days with, with Bob Monroe. He asks, Tom, can you walk us through what a typical session was like when Bob Monroe was first teaching you and Dennis how to achieve the out-of-body state? Sure, I can do that. Uh, early on, um, you know, of course, the early on part, there was no hemisync or binaural beats or any of that. Dennis and I came up with that. Mostly Dennis is the one that came up with it, but we both tested it and, and so on. And then we and Bob, uh, you know, kind of optimized it as we could at the time. And that was... I don't, I don't know exactly how long into the process, but probably a year or so into the process anyway, before we, we had those those as aids. And what would happen is that we'd go to the, we'd go up to the lab, and this is not the same as TMI didn't exist yet. You know, TMI wasn't, a, wasn't an organization yet, wasn't a corporation yet, and where TMI is located now was not the location. It was It was a different place, different time, and this was early before all of that organization ever took place. But he did have a little building that we called the lab, and it had three booths in it. Each of the booths were uh, uh, shielded completely electromagnetically and uh, also acoustically from each other, and it had a control room. And we had GSR and uh, EEG that we could put on. Um, mostly we used GSR. EEG, we had just one setup, so we could do one person with that. And we would come up to the lab, and uh, we'd get in the... Dennis would get in, uh, I'd get in booth number one, then we left two empty, and, and Dennis would get in booth number three, so it was an empty booth between us, and that was just typically what happened. And Bob really wouldn't tell us much about what we were going to do. Uh, we'd just kind of go with what happened. And partly the reason for that is you don't want to set people's expectations to anything in particular. You want them just to get what's there and not overlie it with their own expectations or with their own interpretations. So we would get in the booth, and he would go through, in, in the way he was working then, he'd go through this, this fairly lengthy relaxation process. And uh, anybody that's done relaxation or meditation has probably seen it. It's a standard process where you start, uh, um, well, you can start with your feet, you know, relax your toes, you know, and then relax your feet, and relax your ankles, and it works your way up until you finally have your whole body, you know, completely relaxed. And that was just a get out of the mood that you were in when you got off your motorcycle and walked into the lab, you know, and you were, you know, definitely here in this reality to kind of just let everything, just chill out, let everything go, relax. So we had these relaxation things to do. Then he went through some, some, uh, visual things, and these are things he had done previously, you know, so this is not just brand new that he made up for us, but these are things he had done and used previously. He had a, uh, I think the next step in the process was to get rid of uh, your concerns, that stuff that may be jumping in your mind while you're supposed to have your mind open and in the larger reality. So all of your concerns and problems and issues and the thing, you know, your, your boss yelled at you today, you know, all the things that uh, that you may be stewing about or maybe on your conscious, he had a thing that was a, it was like a, a box. 
I always envisioned it like an old pirate's chest, you know, and you'd open up the chest and you'd take all these annoying things that were in your mind and you'd put them in the box. You'd put them in the chest and then you'd close it and lock it. Well, that was just a, you know, that's just a tool for you to use your intent to set all that stuff aside. You know, you can process that later. Okay, it needs processing. We're not you know, we're not denying that it's there or denying that it needs processing. We just don't want to process it now. You know, for the next couple of hours, just set that aside. Pick it up later. So he'd do that. Um, then he had, a, he had another tool, which didn't develop right away. One he developed a little later, I believe, and he called that an energy bar tool. And we were to make a, like a bar, and I always thought of this as, as like a, a cylinder, you know, like a you know, like a clothes hanger rod, kind of an inch or two in diameter and about uh, two feet long, two and a half feet long kind of thing. That was my own, you know, visualization of it. It could be anything. He called it an energy bar tool. And basically, you put a lot of energy in that so that it, uh, it was a bright white pulsating, you know, high energy uh, in that bar, then you could use that bar to do other things with if you wanted to put energy someplace. You know, it's like you're making your own fairy wand, right, where you can touch things and you can use it to communicate. You can use it for all kinds of things. Well, that's just getting, that's just creating a tool so that you don't, see, what he was trying to do is, is to get us out of the habit that we, the habits that we had, the habits of thinking and the habits of doing that we had, um, in the in our physical world, which is if he just says, you know, well, change this or impart energy to that or or make this black spot white. If he was just doing that, a left brain person says, how? How am I going to do that? You see, I don't know how to do that. There's a white spot and I'm here and it's there. You know, how can I make anything change? You know, and what difference would that make anyway? You see, well, you you short circuit all of that. How am I going to do that stuff? Because we all need to have logical process and tools or we can't do anything. So he gives us a tool, you see. How can you do it? Well, you got this tool you just made. Just reach out and touch it with the tool and that'll do it. So all these were metaphors and, and tools to help us get over our normal way of approaching things. So we did that. And, uh, of course, eventually... Uh, I know I did. I suspect Dennis did too. You just kind of skip the tools. You know, the, the tools are kind of neat and they're fun and they work good in the beginning. But you know, six months or a year later, it's like eh, I don't need to put stuff in a box. You know, I just partition that stuff off. It's gone. You know, I don't need tools. I make up any tool I need on the spot when I need it. You know, it's it's not a problem. I can do this just with my intent. So you let the tools go. But in the beginning, you know, we had these these tools, relaxation tools, and and uh, he had another thing that he would do, now that I speak of it. Uh, he had us uh, produce some um, protection around ourselves. He called it, um, what was it, uh, some kind of an energy balloon. And we would imagine that there was this balloon of energy that was surrounding us, and we'd pump it up full of energy, and that would protect us from anything that might, you know, might harm us. So we got, uh, we got armor and a shield, you see, in the form of this balloon that was around us. And then he read some, uh, a little, um, oh, I can't think of the word for it, but it's a, a little saying or a little oath, a little thing that you take that basically says, I only want to make contact with those beings that have my greater self-interest, you know, at heart. 
You know, I don't want to contact with anything. I'd like to use and abuse me or that sort of thing. So you, you build up this intent now for only interacting with certain kinds of things. So the rest of it is, is out. You're not just open. Hey, anybody out there, you know, what do you want? Then you're liable to get all sorts of things, jokers, whatever, because you've just opened yourself up to everything. So we didn't. We only wanted to talk to those beings that uh, understood more about the larger reality than we did and who were, you know, willing to be helpful to us, not hurtful. So he had a little, um, there's a word for it. I don't know. Maybe you guys will help me out there. But there's a little word that means it's a, it's a saying that you say that uh, basically sets an intent on it being a positive experience, and you've got this this uh, bubble of energy around you that keeps you protected, and all that does is, if you've got any fear, that's just a tool you can use. Just like you put your stuff, you put your worries in the box and locks the box so they won't worry you. Now your fears about the boogeyman getting you, you know, well, you put the armor and shield on, you put this bubble around yourself, well, that fear's gone. And these were all tools and ways of just helping the intent focus on this being a successful, profitable experience, you see. And he learned that through probably putting hundreds of people through these kinds of things as he was just experimenting with it, trying to understand out of body, trying to duplicate it in other people. You know, before we got there, wasn't like when we got there, he first got interested in doing this. You know, he had been doing this for quite some time before Dennis and I showed up. So he had realized that a lot of people are fearful. And a lot of people have a lot of worries and problems that they can't let go of. And a lot of people have issues with the boogeyman getting them, you know, in this state. And he generated all of these tools to help relieve all that. And he started with all those tools with us because he really didn't know us that well. You know, we were just starting out there. And uh, so we got all those tools as well. And then in the beginning, he only had a focus 10, which was his... Um, you know, if you were doing hypnotism, you know, it's like you're getting sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. You know, by the time I get to 10, you're going to be fast asleep. You know, that's like a, a hypnotism thing, right, where you set, up the, you set up the expectation and the intent, and then you work your way to it slowly so that when the person's there, then they are in a hypnotic state or whatever. Well, it was the same sort of thing. We did a 10, and he'd count up to 10, and as he, as he counted, you know, he'd have us get rid of worries. He'd have us get rid of fears. He'd have things, and he'd count. And then he'd be to 10, and then it'd be 10, you know, so then you're there. So he had a focus 10. Now he has, the, you know, then he had focus 12s and 14s and 15s and 18s and, you know, and then the 20-something and 27, and all he had all these various focuses, and all of these things are the same thing. They're, they're tools to focus your intent to be a certain way, you know, when you get there, it's that it's the same. It's the same sort of thing. It's just a it's a mind game. It's not a, a it's not a, a, a you know. It's like the chakras, right? It's the same sort of thing. It's a way of of letting the mind work in a in a more familiar context to create the intent that you want, so that you get the results that you want. So it's a tool. So we did that. We uh, put the energy balloon around ourselves, and we went through this whole thing. You know, it probably took a half an hour just to go through all the the preparatory work, from the relaxation, from the toes to the head, and then everything else. We were probably in this a half an hour before he said ten, and we were off on our own. You see, in this in this state, and then he might tell us something like. Uh, if the issue then was to contact others, he may say, well, reach out and, and uh, 
uh, you know, find a, you know, make contact with some being because we already said we only wanted beings who wanted to, you know, who knew more than we did and were willing to work with us in a positive way. So reach out for that contact for that individual and see if you find any. And then he'd, he'd go off and, uh, and if we made some sort of contact, we'd tell him because we had the microphone suspended from the ceiling, right, probably an inch or two above our lips. So we'd talk to him and tell him what was going on, and then he'd give us some direction. And if we said, yeah, we talked to him, and he'd say, well, ask him. You know, he may give us some questions to ask because he was trying to find out about what created what uh, what well, created what uh, what is this out of body phenomena? Where are you? You know, what is what is this larger reality like, and what are its limitations? He was trying to learn about out of body and about the larger reality and what was going on. So we were investigators, basically researchers, trying to find out. And the first idea Bob had was, well, ask the people who are there. You know, that's probably a good way to find out as opposed to, you know, try to figure it out when you've never been there or you're not there. So we did. We asked a lot of those kinds of questions. And a lot of that you can still hear on old Explorer tapes that evidently I am still, you know, one of that uh, go back to the, to the 1970s. You know, back when dinosaurs still roamed the earth and none of you were probably born yet, you know, they, they go back to that, uh, that. I mean, you can still listen to those tapes, and those are the things that we, you know, th those are the things that we did. Of course, he didn't tape his whole half hour lead up, you know, to that point. He just taped the conversations that we were having with these other beings or the information that we were getting and that kind of stuff. So that's typically what it was. He'd lead us up to a point. And then we were to uh, uh, go places or do things or talk to people or whatever he had in mind. And Dennis and I did that over and over and over again to where going to that state, one, we didn't need the relaxation. Two, we didn't need to put stuff in a box. Three, we didn't need to put the bubble. You know, we didn't do any of that stuff. Um, we already had the intent in our mind that we only wanted to communicate with people who would be helpful to us, you know, not people who would, you know, be unhelpful. So we had kind of all that on automatic, and we could get through all that in maybe 30 seconds rather than, you know, 30 minutes. But that took a little time, you know, and you do it a whole lot of times before you get to that point. But that's basically what it was like. And he'd lead us to some place and then set us free to go do whatever we wanted to do. Sometimes we would heal. You know, he would have certain people in mind that he could keep track of and see whether or not they got better or, and when they got better or whatever. And we did that hundreds of times because, you know, if you say, yeah, I, I healed, I think I healed this person and did real well and then they got better. Well, they may have gotten better anyway. You know, that doesn't prove anything. It just means that uh, maybe you were lucky that you thought you healed somebody right when they got better anyhow. But if you do it hundreds of times, you can begin to tell whether or not it's you're, you know you're having any effect or not. So we had a lot of this was just repetitive. Science is like that. When you do science, when you're trying to figure things out, you got to do things over and over and over again. Particularly when the science uh, is a, is a uh, soft science and therefore it's a statistical based science. You only get results through a statistical assessment, not through a direct. You know your your uh, what they call hard sciences. You do something. And you get an immediate effect, and you only need to do it once. You know, you open your hand, and you drop a ball, and when you drop it, well, 
the ball falls, hits ground. That's all. You don't have to do that once. Every time you do it, exact same thing will happen. It's not like that when you go to psychology, sociology, economics, because now you're dealing with people, and every time you do it, you might get a different result. But you can use statistics to find out whether or not you're actually having an effect. So we did a lot of repetition of a lot of different kinds of experiments and, and things to do. He sometimes sends us into the future to read newspaper headlines. And he'd only want to send us into a future that was like two weeks away or something, you know, so that he could then read the newspaper headlines on a very specific newspaper and see if that's what they said. You know, we tried doing things like that. And some things we got good at, like uh, the healing and some remote viewing, and some things we never got good at, like the reading of the headlines. You know, it just um, never really uh, was something that worked out very well. And for a lot of reasons, since I understood better what was going on later, I understood, you know, what's in a headline is still forming up. But, you know, that's not uh, the probability there still has a lot of changing to do. It depends on decisions that are going to be made uh, in near term. Uh, usually if it's, if it's headline news, it's unexpected. If it's not unexpected, it's not headline news, you see. So looking for headlines is the wrong thing to be looking for because those are very changeable right up to the, right up to the last moment. Another thing is that you don't often get data like that you can read. You know, reading a headline is a very difficult thing to do because you work in telepathy. It's not the same as reading. You don't get information that way. You get concepts and ideas, and trying to read something is a lot more difficult to do. So we found that some of the experiments were just hard and didn't work out well, and some of them worked out very well, and uh, this was just part of our overall experience. We were just probing the larger consciousness system and see what would happen. You know, we'd just out there and see what we'd do things, and we'd send out a probe. We'd try to affect it in some way, and then we'd see what would happen. And um, we did that for years. And just out of that, I guess I made so many of these voyages and so many of these trips that that all just became second nature. It didn't really take any, you know, I could do it on a dime. I could go to that state and, and um, in seconds tenths of seconds even, and then come back again in another tenth of a second. You could go and come and, you know, and I blink, and the person you were talking to, you know, never even noticed, except maybe they thought that your, <laughs> your eyes would glaze over from, you know, every once in a while, but that uh, just became natural. So it wasn't uh, that that was a plan. It's just over years of doing this, it, uh, it got to be where it was a real natural thing to do for Dennis and I both. So that's what it was, nothing particularly exotic, just uh, probing and keeping track of the results and seeing what worked and what didn't and uh, trying to understand. And then after that, typically, uh, so we started maybe at uh, 6.30 or 7. We continued this until 9 or 10 or 11. Uh, so that's a fair number of hours, you know, for doing this sort of thing. And then we'd go down to Bob's house. And we'd sit around down there with Bob and uh, his wife and his uh, uh, stepdaughters. Sometimes they were there. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes other people would be in. You know, Bob got a lot of visitors. Once he published his books, he was a magnet for people who had experienced out-of-body or other things. You know? So he had lots of visitors. So we'd come down. We'd talk to the visitors, and they'd talk to us, and they'd come up to the lab. And So it was then about... Oh, anywhere between midnight and 3 o'clock in the morning, we'd go back home. So then we'd get on the motorcycle, and we'd go home, and, uh, you know, we'd get in bed about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then uh, get up at 6 and go to work. 
and that was <laughs> that was life then. So uh, that was kind of a typical day. And Dennis and I would do this like three days a week, and then some of the time, probably half the time or a quarter of the time, we'd go out on weekends as well. And we went out on weekends. We'd bring our families, and uh, you know, our wives both got into booths, and and uh, even uh, our kids, as they were old enough, you know, to hold still that long, you know, would, would get in the booth. So it was just a matter of of uh, it was a it was immersive, and it lasted for you know, I'd say five, six, seven years of this going on. So you can imagine that's a lot of time and a lot of experience. It just adds up. So that was kind of a typical a typical night at, at the that the name of this farm was Whistlefield Farm. So that was a tickle, uh, typical night at Whistlefield Farm out at the lab that uh, Dennis and I would do. And it, uh, it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and we were just on an adventure. Dennis and I had no idea whether any of this was going to be real or amount to anything or not, but we were just having fun, uh, seeing what would happen. And, of course, so much stuff that was very amazing happened all the time that it got to be where just mere amazing didn't even phase us you know what wasn't even that big a deal you know and after a while so well that was it I hope that gives you an idea but that's kind of what a what a, one of those nights in the early beginning would have would have been like Bob never told us what to do or he, anything he would he said very little about it he let us alone he didn't say well you know you know, did, you know, did you see it this way or did you see it that way? He didn't want to lead the witness. He didn't want any of his ideas to infect us. He didn't give us any way we were supposed to see it or anything like that. We just got whatever we got, and uh, he was never critical about any of it. It was just what we got. He'd put it on a cassette tape, and uh, that was it, you know, and then we'd go do it some more. But he would guide us as far as well. Ask him about, you know, if we were, if we weren't being very productive about kind of the questions that were most critical to us. You know, he would ask us to ask particular questions, but he never interfered whatsoever with the answer we got. That was just the answer we got. That was acceptable. And uh, as we tell him the answer, then he may that may make him think of a different question. So he may be part, you know, he may work interact that way. But the answer was always the answer. And there was never any. I, there was never any question about uh, well, how real was that, and you know, how, you know, what do you think of this entity? All that was just it was as it was. So Bob was very good in that sense. He didn't in any way try to impart any any uh, conclusions on our part about any of it. And we told him. Dennis and I were very honest. We said we don't know whether any of this is real or not. You know, it's just you know we're not we're not believers. We just want to see what happens. And he was perfectly all right with that. That was not a that was not a problem with him, and he really didn't. It didn't matter to him too much what we thought of it, as far as you know whether we believed it or not. wasn't important to him. It was just we were getting information. The information was useful. The information was helping us understand the bigger picture, and that made the whole thing worthwhile, as far as Bob was concerned, because Bob was paying for all of this. This was his lab, you know, his his time and his money. And he's the one that bought the equipment, and he's the one that, you know, bought the cassette tapes, and it was his tape deck and his mixer, and, you know, he was the, the financier that had put all this together. It was on his property, so he was, uh, 
he was happy enough with the results that we were getting to continue, you know, with the experiments to continue doing it. Now, often Dennis and I would get to the lab at, at say six or seven, and we'd work there on putting together equipment or doing other kinds of experiments until Bob arrived. He may not arrive until, you know, eight or nine. So then our, our in the booth with Bob may have only go from, uh, like, say, maybe 9.30 to 10.30 or 11. And then we'd end up down to his house until generally, uh, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning before we'd, before we'd leave. Bob didn't sleep on a normal schedule. Bob slept like a cat. You know, he'd, he'd sleep for an hour here, and then he'd be up for hours, then he'd sleep another hour, and then he might sleep three or four hours at a time. But he scattered his sleep throughout the 24-hour period. He didn't just go to sleep, sleep eight hours, and then get up and have 16 hours of being awake and then eight hours of being asleep. He would sleep off and on whenever he could. So for him to be up at two or three in the morning wasn't that unusual. You know, that's part of his day where he got things done, you know, and uh, that's why we'd go down to his house and talk till two or three in the morning because he probably was just getting up, you know, before he came up to the lab because he didn't have a normal sleep pattern. His sleep pattern was, was scattered uh, all over the place. And we were kind of on his schedule since it was his place and his money and his facility. You know, we went when Bob was, was available. It was a lot of fun. Ran into lots of people. Um, I can say anybody who was anybody back in, the, back in that time, in the early 70s, ran, came through Whistlefield. You know, his, he always had visitors. Always had interesting people with another story to tell. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Thanks, Tom, for sharing all that. I, I've heard, you know, a lot of the stories about the Monroe Institute and your interactions with Bob. But every time I hear it, I just I just love hearing about it. It's so interesting. And I'm sure it, it must have been an exciting and, and fun time to, to yeah. be part of. It was. You know, I was at the time, I was probably, uh, you know, like, 27, 20 less, 25, 26, 27, 28. I was in my I was in my middle late 20s when most of that was happening. So I was a you know bright-eyed, bushy-tailed physicist, you know, just fresh out of the university kind of thing. Yeah, it was a it was a lot of fun. Nice, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. Uh, looks like Donna had to to cut out. I'm not sure if there were any more questions or not. Do you know, Oliver, if there was any more? I think there's only one from you. Um, oh, yeah. This, this machine thing there. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask you about the, uh, the uh, what's it called? Lucia 3 light machine, I think. Uh, it happened to be passing through town just the other day. So I, I saw it on Facebook and went and tried it out. And I had heard that you had tried it when you were in Ireland back in 2012, I think. So I was just curious if, if you had any thoughts on it or anything particular to, to comment on it. It would uh, have been good had you asked me this in 2012. When I did it, I would have had a much better answer than I do two years later when I'm trying to remember it. Uh, I do. I did have it, and Pamela and I both uh, did a session with it. And it's hard to me to call details, but I do recall in general that it was interesting. It uh, was relaxing. 
it definitely puts you in a different state of consciousness. You know, it wasn't just like sitting in a chair with lights, but nothing really happened. You did get into a different state. But because of the patterns and the way the patterns were, you kind of got engrossed with the pattern. You know, you became, if anything, you became one with the pattern, you know, rather than becoming one with the larger consciousness system. You became one with the pattern and how the pattern was changing and how the lights were changing. And I found that to be a very relaxing, pleasant kind of a space to be in. Um, but I don't know that it uh, was a terrific aid to put you into a meditation. Well, you could call that a meditation state, but I don't know how productive the meditation state would have been other than as a relaxation state. That it would have been really good because, and that was just one time. You know, if I tried that 10 times, it would probably change because the things that were all novel had my attention and the things, you know, that kind of wears off after the first couple. So this is just a one-time thing for me, and uh, it may have been very different had I done more. But it was novel enough and interesting enough that uh, it put me very quickly into an altered state of consciousness where I was not thinking about anything else. You know, my mind wasn't with thoughts, so that makes it a good meditation state. But I was completely... Um, connected to what I was seeing. It was a, it was not really a light show, but sort of like that. It was like looking at a light show, and you just kind of became part of the light show. So you and the light show and this pattern, and uh, though it was relaxing and even entertaining to some extent, and like when, the, when it was over, you went, oh, I'd like to do that, you know, I would like that to be a little longer, you know, it was kind of, it was pleasant. Um, I'm not sure that it took me anywhere that I would call productive. Because, of course, I was a very able meditator at that point, and I can get into a relaxed state, you know, very ably. Now, somebody who has a hard time getting noise out of their mind and has a hard time meditating, that may be a good way for them to, you know, if they could get into those patterns, that may be good training for them to be able to let get the thoughts out of the way when they meditate. So I can see there might be some real good use for it. At the time, though, that wasn't me. I already had been doing this for years and years and years, so... Uh, I didn't get a lot out of it in that sense, but it was very enjoyable. I liked it. Had they been given them away for free, I definitely would have taken one home. You know, but uh, they were a little pricey, as I recall, so I didn't do that just because it would have been a fun thing to do, a very relaxing uh, kind of neat thing. Like going to a light show. It was now they could have and were doing. See what you saw two years later was probably different because they were in the very early stages, I think, when I saw it. And I made some suggestions to it about trying to uh, employ the 4 hertz as a beat so with that sort of thing. And I don't think they had that kind of technology incorporated in it when I saw it. They may have when you saw it. I don't know. So my guess is a year later, this was kind of an ongoing research project for them at the time. The people doing it were actually there in Ireland when we looked at it. The, the inventors, if you will, the researchers were there, and I discussed some stuff with them and gave them some some ideas, and we kind of discussed where it might go and and what you know values it might have and that kind of stuff. And if they included some theta state oscillation, maybe in the picture, maybe in the brightness, maybe in something else to try to encourage not only getting into an altered state but getting into that theta state rather than an alpha state. 
to me, the pictures by themselves tended to be more alpha state pictures, which means just a relaxed, you know, pleasant place. But the theta state is a lot more productive state as far as consciousness goes. So you're more connected to your consciousness and disconnected from the rest of the world in a theta state. And then, of course, you go down to the delta state, then you're totally disconnected from the world because you're unconscious. You see, so it's that theta state is between the consciousness of the alpha and the unconsciousness of the delta, and you have this little theta right, in the, right between those two, which is where your productive state is. And I think what I saw was mostly kind of alpha, alpha range, and in order to get a, a more, I don't know, a, a, a deeper connection to the larger consciousness system by that device, it would need to more have been working the person into the theta rather than into the alpha region. So that was my assessment. But that's two years later. Who knows what it was? You know, who knows what it was doing? Well, How did you like it? I, I liked it a lot. It, it it sounds like maybe they did add some four hertz interaction with the lights, but uh, the particular you can select. I think ten different programs. You know, one is called uh, I don't know something along the lines of just light relaxation, and then ten is DMT is what they called it because supposedly it you know activates uh, the same kind of experience. Yeah. So not knowing what to expect, I think I chose somewhere in the middle just to kind of try it out. And I think the one that I did was designed to kind of be a roller coaster that touched on a little bit of everything. And I could tell that there was some moments there where kind of like binaural beats, it was really easy for me to get into a really good meditative state. And I recognized the the sensation. But then there was other times where, I mean, it was just, uh, it was almost too intense because it was... Uh, it just put me in really heightened awareness where uh, it wasn't a bad sensation, but it was, it was a different sensation than, than what uh, seemed to be the four Hertz stuff that was going on. So yeah. it could yeah. be mixed in there. It seems like it was, but uh, I suspect but they I, would have, you know, that was two years later and they were, they were researching and testing and, you know, that's part of the reason they brought it to this, to this thing uh, uh, where I was giving a talk in Ireland uh, because they wanted people, you know, people going through it. They were yeah. uh, not only were they kind of advertising their wares, but they were getting data back and, and uh, uh, people were telling them, you know, how they experienced it and this sort of thing, which was when you do that kind of research, that's your main way of, you know, getting feedback is by getting people to experience your device and then tell you what they experienced. And so I'm sure they learned a lot of lessons between, you know, in the next two years. So you probably got a, a much different version than I got, yeah. but it was very good technology. You know, the binaural beat works on your hearing, of course. It's binaural, and you can have a, a, um, a similar kind of thing done with light, you know, with the eyes you're seeing. And you can combine both of them together for, uh, you know, an even more powerful effect. But all of them are just trying to, well, at least if they're trying to put you into like a deep meditation state, they're all they're trying to get you into that theta into that theta region. And if they can get most of your EEG energy into the theta region, then you are in, you know, a good meditation state. So that's the point. And you can do that optically just as well as you can do that, you know, orally. It's, uh, you can, you can even do it, uh, you know, you could probably even do it with uh, pressure waves and things, you know, that would, that you could feel. That's part of the thing when you go to the big concert, you know, and they have these, uh, you know, 800 watt amplifiers, you know, or 8,000 watt amplifiers that you can actually feel, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the pressure waves, you know, in your body. 
that's part of that too. You know, if they get your body shaking in a four hertz, it probably also, you know, does the same, does the same thing. So it's just because uh, your brain is going to be firing its neurons and things kind of in rhythm with the sensations that it's getting. So there's lots of ways to entrain the brain waves, and uh, the optical should be a pretty powerful way because that's a that's a, a pretty big part of our of our uh, brain is the part that processes uh, optical data. That's, that's a major part. Oral data is a little smaller and a little different place. But uh, any of it works, and it all works together probably better than it works separately. Yeah, I always thought it would be nice if they would uh... – all right, maybe I could do it. I guess come up with a way to do all, sort of all three at the same time. So you're getting the you know the four hertz vibrations physically, tactilely, and then you're getting four hertz in your ears, and you're getting a four hertz flash. It seems like that would be a pretty pretty uh, quick way to give someone a taste of a of a good state. That would be good. And uh, Dennis and I thought about doing that some time ago. And uh, when they came out with these goggles, you know, you put on the goggle, and the goggle has uh, like LEDs yeah. that can flash. Um, and also it has earphones, so you have the goggles with the with the with the earphones go with it. So you could yeah. easily do you could easily do the binaural beat and the kind of the the uh, same same sorts of frequencies um, with the light without much trouble. I mean the technology for that is here, and that would be a pretty powerful combination. And I suspect that people have already done that. I mean it's such an obvious thing to do, you know that it's. It's uh, no doubt been done. So I suspect if you searched around for that, you'd probably find one you could buy already done. It wouldn't right. shake your body. Then you'd need to go into some kind of thing that you could do the physical vibrations. But uh, I think you'll probably get the optical and the binaural and maybe even the point where you can dial up your own frequencies. You know, it's not just fixed in the device, but something where you can, you can uh, tune it to suit you. Yeah, I think there's. I, I suspect such a device. I've never actually seen one, but you know, it's such an obvious idea. I expect that there are such devices out there already. Yeah, I was. I looked after the the light machine because I was thinking about all, that, all of that, and uh, there's there's a couple that I saw. You know, there one was six hundred dollars, but supposedly it, it had gotten good reviews, and you could. Uh, it comes with software where you can customize your own uh, yeah. binaural beat sound, and you can customize the flashes. But I don't know if it's. Uh, worth the money or you know i haven't read much about it but there you're right there there's stuff out there so yeah stuff out there already doing that yeah all you need is six hundred dollars right <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah. uh well thank you tom that was good and i appreciate uh talking about that you're welcome